0: Uh, Banamati herself has now enabled over 600 uh, village consumers to start using digital payments in the village. And the pride she has when she says that, listen, people are more secure with their money now. And you know, they're confident how to use their uh, uh, mobile phones to do a variety of other things. Uh, you know, apart from the fact that has earned over about uh, 15,000 rupees from us in the last three months just doing this project. Uh, what I'm seeing, Hari, is money is of course is important, but I think the social pride of being somebody, a changemaker for that village, is really what drives uh, our youth as entrepreneurs. Hi, welcome to Forbes India's The Startup
1: Fridays, a weekly conversation with accomplished entrepreneurs, VC investors and other folk who are doing significant work in India's startup ecosystem. You can find a new episode every Friday evening. You can also find us live on Instagram every Friday morning. I'm Hari Arakali, and my guest today is Madan Padki, founder and CEO of One Bridge, which provides a host of services in small towns and villages, linking brands and businesses with India's rural economy and creating micro-entrepreneurs from among the rural youth. In this episode, Madan, who is an entrepreneur and angel investor, talks about how rural youth have the same aspirations for a better life as anyone else and how that represents a massive entrepreneurial opportunity. So, Madan, uh, fantastic! You were able to make time for this. Uh,
0: welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thank you so much. Uh, Aryan. Thank you, Forbes team, for uh, getting me on the show, and really look forward to this conversation. Thank you for the kind introductions.
1: All right. So, uh, so to get us uh, started, uh, uh, maybe you could give us a snapshot of the journey that brought you to One Bridge. Before you started One Bridge, you know, give us a snapshot of that journey in your words, and we'll go from there. Sure. Uh,
0: like many others, uh, you know, on on uh, who've similar journeys, I started out uh, as an engineer uh, because I didn't know what else to do. Uh, worked in the early days of Pro infrastructure, and then called fluid Power and then uh, was fortunate to work in Infosys for a very brief while before I did my MBA at SPJ in Mumbai, and I was working in Japan for a software company called BFL. Uh, post my MBA, to run sales in that region. And 2000 is when the entrepreneurial bug bit and I co-founded Meritrack. You know, with absolutely no background whatsoever in HR, recruitment, assessments, three of us came together to say, hey, IT and BPO industry is booming. What are the opportunities out there? And can testing people be one such opportunity is an idea that germinated in our mind. And that's how uh, Meritrack started off. Uh, as India's first skills assessment entity, and went through the usual roller coaster ride, several near-death experiences, uh, lots of lessons along the way, but uh, I think we hit the timing right, we did a few things right, and Meritrack just exploded, Uh, we became uh, a thought leader in the employability space, and uh, uh, by 2007, uh, after having raised some early capital from HSBC private equity, uh Manipal Education became interested in us and said that why don't we join forces and build a much larger educational assessment entity as well. And eventually Manipal ended up acquiring Meritrack. Uh, and I moved out uh, to Manipal to head strategy and innovation. But right through this journey, honey, I had we had assessed. Till now Meritrack continues after 22 years, uh, must have tested over about 50 million people. And when I was the help till 2013, we had tested over about 10 million, 15 million people. And I had seen talent up close uh, from about 500 towns across the country where we used to go and test people, you know, and in my world, uh, people were split into employable and unemployable. And I thought that's the way the world was. Till I landed up uh, doing this exciting project with my partners now at Head & Foundation, where we wanted to set up a rural BPO. And we <laughs> wanted to look at talent from the rural uh, side. And I laughed to say, listen, it's hard to find talent from Bangalore trying to do a BPO. Job. I mean, how can we find uh, talent in villages and therefore began the experiment where we said, what if we take the most unemployable person on the face of this earth and is it possible to transform such an individual into an English speaking computer trained knowledge professional. And we did, and This results were stunning. We took a kids who were literally zero educated, never had a pencil in their lives and in seven months time, they were speaking English, were confident and nine months they were apparently Uh, We got them to do insurance claims processing work and we were meeting the metrics that Mumbai uh, BPO's were doing. So it changed the whole paradigm for me that the potential in youth is truly unlimited. And and especially we need to look at rural areas and prevent migration. And how do we really create opportunities in the areas that they work in. And that was the seed uh, for OneBridge. To say Mm -hmm. is there a model where we can create opportunities for youth with unlimited potential, and can we really enable them to earn reasonable incomes in their own villages uh, by doing certain activity? And that's been the journey over the last uh, yeah 25 years now.
1: Mm. So yeah, so t- tell us a bit more about uh, One Bridge. What was what kind of triggered the idea for One Bridge? I mean, after you explain a little bit about what it is, tell us also about you know what triggered that thought process.
0: Yeah. Uh, so the the so we set out. I moved out of Park, to try and figure out, make sense of how do you really create opportunities for entrepreneurs. Banged our head against a rural BPO for several years. Uh, you know, we were running a two hundred seater facility in Raichur, in Kopal in Tumkur, uh, but always struggling to scale, always struggling to fill the seats with work. And uh, I realized early on in twenty fifteen that. Uh, this is not going to work. You know, our dreams of having hundreds and thousands of entrepreneurs running uh, their own enterprises in the villages, the BPO didn't fit into that model. So we shut down that entity and I was trying to figure out what else to do. When I came across an opportunity to do uh, last mile delivery for an e-commerce entity. And uh, this entity told us, listen, I don't have any work for BPO, why don't you start... Uh, delivering packets and like a dying man, drowning man who clutches at a straw, I said, listen, if, if my kids can do BPO so, they can easily do e-commerce delivery. So what started out by delivering just eight packets a day in Hosur, just outskirts of Bangalore, uh, quickly exploded and we've seen the growth of the e-commerce boom happening. And today we have over more than about 3,000 uh, such youth delivering over one and a half million packages a month. Right. Mm. Uh, And only in tier 3, tier 4, tier 5 towns. So that explosion got me thinking to say, hey, if villages are still not being served, why don't we find entrepreneurs in the villages who can do an assisted commerce model, because the thing that is standing between the village citizens and newcomers are two things. One is trust that, you know, I, I want to be with only people I trust, I don't trust online and of course the digital divide. And that's how in 2017 we came out to the whole Assisted Commerce model, to have an entrepreneur in every village, who is on our technology platform, who delivers a variety of Assisted Commerce services, which could be product uh, buying, it could be digital services like mobile recharge, bill payments, direct money transfers, insurance, uh, etc. And of course last by delivery. And today we have people in about 12,000 odd villages, uh, who are both men and women in, uh, as entrepreneurs who are delivering a variety of services to the village consumers and therefore earning incomes. Uh, long way to go, but we are building up the stack. Uh, the mm. dream is that in the next uh, three years, can we be in 100,000 villages and uh, can each entrepreneur earn an additional 100,000 rupees from us as incomes uh, from serving the village consumers. So, mm. that's been the the genesis of one bridge and, and the short journey so far.
1: Yes yeah, so it's really fascinating going from b p o to delivering packets to now becoming or at least the ambition of becoming a sort of more sophisticated platform uh to kind of you know even the name you bridge sort of the yeah. rural urban uh you know uh yeah it's mm-hmm. truly really, yeah fascinating and so yeah, maybe delve into that a little bit more uh talk about uh now, now, you know, if you're looking at what are all the things that are possible, uh, what is how is the sort of underlying philosophy crystallizing? What is, yeah, you know, what, what's happening there?
0: Yeah, so I look at it as as lining up three ducks in a row, and that. So in a way, uh, you know, I don't see one bridge as 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 you rightly said, it's a bridge. It's a soft infrastructure that we're laying, rather than a particular. Uh, uh, ...segment of business that we are doing. So, uh, we hear three things consistently, Hari. One is, consumers in the villages, you know, you take a sub 10k village... ...access, choice and convenience are unheard of words for them. Uh, in a village of 10,000, which is a pop of around 2,000 odd villages... ...there are 30 crores being spent by them on an annual basis. But less than 5% of that spend happens within the village. Mm. Most of it happens in the nearby towns, uh, etc. Right. So, and, and and the cost of transactions for these entrepreneurs and for these citizens and consumers in the villages is much higher than what you and I face here. Right. So, on one end of the spectrum is the crying need to bring in better access, choices and convenience and better consumer experience. For our consumers in the villages, who are spending quite a lot by the way, whose aspirations are no different from yours and mine's. Right. On the other hand, uh, other spectrum, you have various brands, companies, FMCG, consumer durables, automotive, etc., etc., healthcare, education, that are trying to reach the villages, but they find the cost and the whole model of reaching the villages very, very uh, prohibitive. Right? So there's no bridge. So that's how we conceptualize the bridge, which has three elements. One is an entrepreneur at the end, because you need a local entrepreneur to support the transaction, you need a technology platform. Uh, that will be a component of this bridge and third, uh, you need uh, to deliver a variety of transactions in a multiple stack to the households, so that you are not just delivering only FinTech or AgriTech, but can you handle all the needs of households because that's when unit economics starts makes two sense. So essentially, if you look at the model of OneBridge, we bridge the access, choice, convenience needs of the consumers uh, with the needs of brands to address this market by building products that work for them. And we bridge it by bringing in an entrepreneur, a technology platform and deep data understanding of what consumers really want so that companies and corporates can target the consumers better. And it's a both side, it's just not a consumption story, it it is a production story as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you already mentioned, you gave some numbers in terms of the number of people, number of orders being delivered and so on. Maybe just uh, take it to the next level of detail. Give us a sense of the scale of operations of everything that you're doing today. Uh, You know, the number of people you've been able to touch, uh, you know, these micro entrepreneurs that you've created and uh, in any other way you want to talk about it.
0: Sure. So the last uh, few years, today, our current, uh, if you were to talk about our network statistics, we are in about 77 districts. Lastly, the southern six states. So, Karnataka, Maharashtra, mm-hmm. Andhra, Tabirinandu, Telangana, and uh, Orissa. Uh, we, in these 77 districts, we run our own district stations. So, we have distribution hubs, uh, which could be anywhere between 1000 to 5000 square foot of space, uh, that we operate as a last mile delivery center. Uh, now, across these 77 districts, we have about 12,000 odd villages that we serve. And each of these villages, we have an entrepreneur who is in that village. Uh, The entrepreneur is a combination of a local Kirana store, a beauty salon, a a mobile repair shop owner. And a women entrepreneur uh, who could be a housewife or an Arminwadi worker or an ASHA worker who is freelancing with us in our spare time. Uh, We also have Taluka level centres that we are setting up which will act as a hop between the district and the village. Mm. And uh, Apart from these 12,000 odd entrepreneurs, we have another 3,000 odd youth who operate with us as delivery associates. So, if you take the entire universe, we have about 15,000 odd people. Uh, our full time strength at uh, One Bridge itself is about 400 plus people. Uh, hmm. we headquartered in Bangalore, we have about 45 people in the, in the headquarters, and the rest of the team is all scattered around these 75 77 districts. Hmm. And on a last year, as an example, we delivered about 16 million transactions hmm. uh, for these households here, largely around product sales, uh, last mile delivery, and digital transactions. Hmm. Uh, and 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 we know each of these uh, households. We know people. We've actually launched a concept of a one bridge kutumb, where our target is to onboard 300 households in every village as our one bridge loyalty program member, as a Kutum member. Uh, The idea is also to bring various uh, experiences, you were talking about possibilities, you know, 2017 OneBridge launched probably India's and maybe the world's first ever virtual reality mall for rural consumers and we actually displayed tractors, we had a demo showroom of uh, of a TV, so in a way we were much ahead of the metaverse by almost five years, right, and uh, perhaps uh, one of the ideas that we are working towards is, you know, uh, why can't we be the first rural metaverse for commerce in these villages? Uh, and so the possibilities are endless. Then you uh, you put in a healthcare, a net tech, an edtech, an agri tech, uh, a financial services all into the metaverse equally.
1: Yeah, yeah. In fact, I was just going to. I was thinking in my mind when you were talking about this that uh, probably uh, not a very difficult extension to add healthcare and education to this. And, exactly. And, and, and beyond that, I mean, so that now begins to you get to the point where you begin to impact the social constructs within these villages, and you know, that's a...
0: no, that's the whole idea. That's the whole idea, Harry. I mean, see, if you if you start impacting four key things, right, uh, healthcare, education, agriculture, and financial uh, services, hmm. uh, then you change the whole fabric of the village. Mm. Uh, and and that's really the journey. We have done a variety of experiments in healthcare and education. You know, mm. I am a little wary of taking in and jumping in and doing something in healthcare and education because if you sell a TV, what is the worst thing that can happen? The TV can go bust and you just replace it. We don't want to play around with health and education of entrepreneurs before we are absolutely clear yeah. uh, of the consumers that what do they need and what solutions work for them. Mm. So, that experiments are underway still.
1: Mm-hmm. I just want to take you back to one point that you mentioned earlier. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, because of everything that you've done, you said you were able to gain a lot of uh, on the ground uh, d- data insights. Give us a flavor of some of the truly interesting things, you know, that you that you came across, you know,
0: that is relevant to the work that you're doing. Yeah. Now, what have you found about villages? So, there are several myths that are around and those are fairly imprinted in our minds as well, right. Uh, in fact, a, a couple of years ago, I would asked my nieces class who were all eight, thang standard kids to write an essay on a, on, a, on, on a village. You know, the essay went like this, uh, all, all India is filled with villages, all villages are poor, uh, they don't have enough to eat, etc, etc, right. Hmm. Obviously, these girls had never been to a village, uh, these are all stories that have narratives that are have picked up from watching movies, reading s- newspapers, etc, etc, right. What I have seen in the villages is four things and that's driving me to build this model, what I call as Rubunomics. One hmm. is that talent, there is unlimited potential in each and every human being. I think Amartya Sen said it beautifully, he said poverty is nothing but capability deprivation and opportunity deprivation. That you bring capability and opportunities together, every human being will thrive and there is no poverty. I firmly believe that, that you bank on the talent that is out there and you cannot go wrong if you do it in the right way. The second Hmm. is, I keep getting asked, so how do you think people in villages, what do they want? I said, what do you want? Hmm. Right, it's exactly the same thing that they want as well. Why do we put you know, somebody here and somebody there and say, you know what, aspirations are, especially in the age of WhatsApp and Facebook, they watch the same posts that you and I do, they want the same yeah. ads as you and I do probably, yeah. right. So, aspirations are growing and are uh, are equal, if not more. That's the second thing. Third, I find that in our rural uh, villages, the entrepreneurial resilience is far higher than what uh, we see in the urban scene. So there is an entrepreneurial energy out there that can be captured. Hmm. Right. Uh, because, you know, again, it's fashionable now to talk of the gig economy. Uh, India and rural have been on gigs forever. Yeah. Right. You work on your farm in the morning, you do your uncle's, uh, you stay for a couple of hours selling some stuff in your uncle's shop. Then you help your mom make some puppets, whatever. Just to hmm. get make sure that you are able to earn a decent income. And survive uh, out there right and lastly, I am amazed at technology penetration and how fast people are picking up things uh, are and I think, uh, you know, most of us still think trickle down in terms of technology, I think if you can start thinking leapfrog and saying, hey, why should rural wait five years for a technology doing that, why can't we start from there? Hmm. I think you add these four elements, talent, technology, aspirations and entrepreneurial energy. You can actually construct a new rural out
1: there and we call that as Rubin and, and therefore Ruben Bridge and Ruben Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, and this is, I mean, what I'm going to say is nothing new. Uh, lots of experts have talked about this. One, I guess one important challenge is that pretty much most of the internet is uh, in English. At least the internet as we know it is in English. Yeah, so, And you you've already made a start in terms of building a tech stack and so I'm thinking in the in the years to come, maybe you'll find a way to bring the internet to the villages, to people in their uh, languages. I'm, I'm wondering what kind of partnerships.
0: Hmm. Absolutely, Hari. I think that is the way to go, right? Local content, local community. You know, how can you see the other thing, which, which I think, again, narratives around, and that's something that we want to build, is that a lot of lack of self-confidence comes from the fact uh, that when I hear young people saying, sir, nothing happens in our village ever, nothing happens in our district, it's all happening in Bangalore, Delhi, but the moment we start digging into the history of the place, the culture of their own district, you know, what are the innovations that happened in their district maybe 100, 200 years ago, you know, you look at wonderful architectures uh, yeah. of temples, of of uh, monuments, etc. And you ask them, who do you think built it? Do you, do you think people came from Bangalore and Delhi to build this?
1: Yeah.
0: Right. So I think there's a lot of pride that needs to be restored and that can happen only when you bring in local content in the local languages and have them to leverage what is of uh, of, of strength in that village in those districts and villages i think then the potential will truly flow
1: hmm. Hmm. all right let's let's bring it back a little bit to more specific to your own operations uh, i i got to read a little bit about the the one bridge advisor uh, at the village level, maybe you could use that as an illustration to uh, walk us through how someone can start off in a modest way uh, at one bridge, but then as they learn and work, uh, expand their you know capabilities, become micro entrepreneurs, and then become bigger. Give us a couple of examples of how some young people have done this.
0: So let me give you two examples. One of a very interesting uh, youth in in a village called uh, Kilara in Mandya. Kilara is about 20, 20 kilometers from India. A small hamlet with about I mean small village town with about five, six thousand population. Abhishek uh, is a 10th standard dropout used to and still runs a chai shop, mm-hmm. which he caters to laborers going to work on farms. So he opens at 3:45 a.m. in the morning or four o'clock, mm-hmm. he's ready to serve his first cup of chai. And his chai shop is really between four to ten. That hmm. they go f- to the field and they come back to have a chai and some snacks. So, when we met Abhishek uh, in one of our visits to mandya and we were scouting the villages, we were asking him, listen, you seem to know everybody in the village, what else can you do? He hmm. says, yeah, everybody loves me, I, I know people, tell me, what can I do, right? So, when Onebridge uh, went into his village and Abhishek became a Onebridge advisor. To the consumers who came to his shop and others, he started offering mobile recharges, digital payments, bill payments, uh, insurance, we do cash out uh, withdrawals as a a mini ATM. Abhishek went on to sell about 40 two wheelers in his own village uh, through partnerships that we had with various two wheeler dealers. You know, he organized test rides in his village, he was doing KYC for uh, loans, he he has sold over about 75 televisions, refrigerators. Uh, and hundreds of mobile phones all through our app. And today, Abhishek came out with an idea I mean, last year to say, why are women in our village sitting uh, without doing anything? He organized an internet training program that we partnered with a few entities and ran a digital sati program for about 30-40 women in this uh, village. And Abhishek must have cumulatively in the last three years earned over about uh, 2.5 lakhs from us. Nice. Right? The most important part here was... When I met his dad, right, uh, his dad had tears in his eyes to say, listen, because of you guys, Abhishek is somebody in the village, anything new, people say, hey, let's go talk to Abhishek, he'll tell us what to do. In fact, his dad was laughing, apparently, uh, you know, there was uh, a shot circuit in somebody's house and, uh, and the TV caught fire. And they called Abhishek to say TV is on fire, what should I do? And Abhishek said, how do I know? Guys, just put a bucket of water on it. So, he has become ubiquitous with the guy who connects the village to the world. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the power in every, every village we can find an Abhishek. We have found, you know, thousands of Abhisheks and, uh, you know, let's say a Bhannumati who is there in a village called who who is a housewife. And uh, Banumati started doing a project on bringing digital payments to our consumers. And uh, Bhannumati herself has now enabled over 600 uh, Village consumers to start using digital payments in a village, and the pride she has when she says that. Listen, people are more secure with their money now, and you they know they're confident how to use their uh, uh, mobile phones to do a variety of other things. Uh, you know, apart from the fact that she has earned over about uh, fifteen thousand rupees from us in the last three months just doing this project. Uh, so what I'm seeing, Hari, is money is of course is important, but I think the social pride of being somebody, a change maker for their village is
1: really what drives our youth as Mm -hmm. Yeah, You you mentioned uh, women in the villages earlier as well, both in Abhishek's example, he organized uh, a project for them, uh, and and people like Banubati. So I'm wondering if you're seeing any larger uh, trends uh, in terms of what young women uh, aspire for uh, in, in, in Indian villages
0: today? One of the things I'm struck with is uh, the the level of education of girls has gone up over the last uh, uh, several years. I have rarely visited a household who has said I have not sent my daughter to a school or a college. In several deep inside several villages, I found D eggs and B eggs by the truckloads. Hmm. The challenge is the parents don't want them to come to the city, hmm. right? Because of course there are there are genuinely feared fears to say, you know, my daughter will get lost in this big bad world of a large city, so they're sitting at home. So the opportunity that we see is, they are educated, there is that energy to do something, parents are open to having their daughters, wives, daughter-in-laws do something as long as it's in the village. And uh, they're happy to do this. In fact, uh, we went a step ahead, uh, Hari, and uh, two months ago, we opened the first women delivery station that we've ever had, manned by 25 women in Rajmundry, mm-hmm. And you should see the energy of the place. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And, and what we realized was, if you're talking about one woman, there are concerns, but parents are happy that there are 25 women together.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And in a way, they form a collective. Yeah. So, I think given the technological uh, Protests and you know the gig economy work that we are all talking about. There is a phenomenal opportunity for women to sit in their homes uh, or move around in a, maybe a 5-10 kilometer radius and start contributing to their households' incomes and to the and to the nation. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, is it too early uh, in one bridge's uh, sort of life to think in terms of uh, partnerships? Uh, you know, with uh, I don't know, agri extension. Programs, uh, education programs, and and turn some of these One Bridge advisors into local agri tech advisors as well.
0: Absolutely. We are on that path, uh, uh, Hari. We recently struck a partnership with State Rural Livelihoods Mission, Karnataka. Uh, We've taken 6,000 of their SSG women members. And the first thing that we're training them is on financial well being. So they're acting as financial. I, would, I wouldn't say inclusion, in fact, I argue that uh, uh, wealth management is more critical for our uh, consumers in rural India than the urban guys because there is little wealth to go around there, right? So we are training them to be financial inclusion or financial uh, uh, information and advisors. Uh, we also did a very interesting project to teach entrepreneurial mindsets uh, through our women entrepreneurs, uh, <laughs> to kids. So these are all... Uh, projects and the way, what we have to figure out and that's why we are doing is you have to give some sort of a progression path for each of these entrepreneurs where they graduate from one level to another and therefore you you do these nano-credentialing and nano-skilling and then say you, you learn this for two days and the third day you can start earning. So we are now designing that whole flow so that uh, you could move an advisor from a level A to a level Z. And at each level, there's an incremental earning mm, mm, mm. So we're working on that design that should be ready in
1: a, in a more than a year or so. Mm. so so in this context, how does the 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 global alliance for mass entrepreneurship that you started, i think a couple of years back two three years back i think how where does where does that fit in?
0: So the thought, at least for me and uh, my partners Ravi Venkatesan and Makin, both are investors in OneBridge, that's how we got to know each other uh, apart from other things. We started thinking that listen, OneBridge is one model of, of entrepreneurship, maybe there are 1000 other models out there, maybe there are 1000 other variants out there. Mm-hmm. So what we all agreed was, you need to unleash the spirit of entrepreneurship at a grassroots level. Yeah. because the moment you say entrepreneurship in bangalore it only means the tech it only means unicorns and funding and fundraises or if you talk about entrepreneurs in the in the in, in delhi it means beneficiaries as msmes so there's a wide spectrum but there's a missing middle of opportunity driven entrepreneurs that one village is looking at and game kind of uh, our thought process was you know what who are the various actors who are out there which could be governments, corporates, NGOs, uh, you know, uh, academic institutions, incubators, etc., that are trying to spur an on-ground movement of mass entrepreneurship. And can we then bring all of them together to learn, to collaborate, to work together, and to really create an uprising? So, Games' perspective is that of an alliance. Uh, it's not a, it's not an implementing organization, but the objective is to bring entities like OneBridge together. To work with other stakeholders to figure out how is it that we can accelerate progress and the growth of entrepreneurs on the ground. You know, therefore, can you solve for access to finance? Can you solve for ease of doing business? Can you solve for effective learning? Can you solve for uh, you know uh, group mentoring programs, etc., etc.? And we're taking an ecosystem approach to do that.
1: Hmm. Hmm. And and more specific to one bridge, uh, what are your biggest challenges Uh, is it about uh, uh, taking the scale to the next level which would I guess contribute to making your own operations more viable and sustainable in the long term Uh, does that mean you will need more money, what are your biggest challenges?
0: So I mean we've we've grown one bit the old fashioned way we've been very frugal on capital we've raised hardly about 2 million dollars till date Uh, Hmm. we uh, you know, last year uh, we did a revenue of over 60 crores, this is our revenue and we turned EBITDA positive. Mm. Uh, so that one of the challenges that I'm trying to figure out is, how do you grow the business at the intersection of doing good, feeling good and making good money. Mm. Right, that you need to keep the social ethos at the heart, but you need to run it like a very very efficient enterprise. And and therefore comes the challenge of running a distributed enterprise. You know, if you are in, if you are in 200 districts and maybe in about, uh, you know, uh, 60,000 villages, I'll have 60,000 nodes that need to echo and resonate to the same culture, uh, to the same uh, be- beliefs, to the same behaviors. Right. So how do you imbibe that in a distributed model? Hmm. Right. Of course, capital is critical. Uh, We need to scale, we need capital, but I think uh, I have not pressed the pedal yet on the accelerator to say, let's just burn and scale. I I, I believe that this is a long term play. Uh, If we get our core foundations right, this will automatically scale. Uh, Mm -hmm. Of course, the challenge in living in this world is the moment you say rural and the moment you talk about feeling good, doing good, you know, you tend to get bucketed into an NGO or, oh, this venture cannot make money. And I keep saying that probably I'm making more money than any of the other guys you might have seen. Uh, you know, running the classic startup. So I think, uh, you know, there's the other challenge of having the ecosystem recognize that there is a that there's a very aspirational, willing consumer. Who's willing to pay value for products and services that are being delivered to them. And we need to figure out how to build that value in a, in, a, in a way that makes sense for everybody. Right, and of course, you know, talent continues to be a challenge. Uh, we need uh, people who resonate to the scores, who also bring in uh, sector competence, but are able to lift uh, heavy, uh, you know, heavy weights as we go along the journey. So we are all we are facing the the good old challenges, plus a few other specific ones. And uh, yeah, uh, I think. Uh, you know, as I say, "Lage raho, is the only mantra. You just need to be at it and keep chipping away.
1: Uh, yeah. And uh, magic will happen. Mm. Yeah, on that point about persevering, and I think uh, even more relevant, especially to the, the the younger founders who probably have not seen the, the previous downturns and so on. Uh, from your own career, uh, you have seen all of those ups and downs. And tell us a bit about what initially got you thinking about becoming an entrepreneur uh, and then maybe you can talk about some of your biggest takeaways from the experience so far. Sure.
0: So, you know, Meritrack itself was was an accidental entrepreneurship in a way that Mm. uh, it was glamorous, it sounded fun. Uh, I don't think, and we were too young to figure out, uh, uh, you know, what are the other things that we must consider, we just jumped and started Mm. to swim. Uh, what I have learned along the way is uh, is a few things, uh, uh, Hari, and uh, I think that's where my reflections come from. Uh, I think there are five pieces. So, what you see as a startup, as a founder or as an entrepreneur is only an external manifestation. Right. So, we see a company, we see progress, which could be fundraisers, hiring, customers, etc. And you see money being made. So, so I, I call it as the program, which is the entity. The path, which is all the progress that you made, made, and uh, the finally the profitability or progress that you can really show, right? But I think there are two critical things that precedes these three P's. One is your own purpose, right? What is the purpose that you wish to pursue in your life, and how do you have that purpose anchor everything you do? And two, how does that purpose uh, drive passion for the work that you're doing? So, I believe that without the purpose and the passion, the program sometimes is on shaky foundation. So, at the sign of first trouble, you say, okay, yeah, it's not working, let's shut it down, move to something else.
1: Hmm. Right. So, the
0: way I see this is that if the purpose of my life and I spent a lot of time trying to define it and I, I finally wrote it down to say that the purpose of my life uh, is to unleash the infinite potential that exists in every human being and to create a world of abundance and oneness. Right. And that remains my core purpose come what may. So I see One Bridge, Head and Dye Foundation, GAME, whatever, you know, my role at Thai Bangalore, all of these are programs or vehicles that are helping me reach that end state. Mm-hmm. So I think if you distinguish between the purpose that you are pursuing and the programs that you run to make sure that the purpose is achieved, uh, not in your lifetime, it could be in many, somebody else's lifetime as well. Then there is equality that comes in Right, otherwise somebody sneezes and you realize that, uh, you know, God knows how many people have told me, boss, why are you banging your head against one bridge, it seems like such a difficult thing to do And I say, you know what, it it does not seem difficult for me because I'm living my purpose through it every day And I see no other way that I will lead my life I think that's a critical uh, thinking through. So even in Thai, Bangalore, uh, you know, one of the shifts that we've been trying to do is we spend a lot of time on external journeys of entrepreneurship, you know, how to get customers, investors, how to write pictures, etc. We rarely spend time talking about inner journeys, what mm-hmm. builds pursuance, you know, how do you define uh, actions and reactions, so on and so forth. In fact, we did a wonderful program uh, a few months ago on Bhagavad Gita and the spirit of entrepreneurship. We had over thousand people attending a twenty one day program, uh, and the insights from that were tremendous. Uh, just as an example, so for all the entrepreneurs out there, uh, you know, my uh, my piece would be to reflect to kind of uh, uh, you know anchor the program that you're running around your purpose, and everything else will fall into place. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. On the point of reflection, uh, tell us about. Uh, Maybe one or two truly memorable, pivotal moments in your life, if you will, or even professional life that kind of changed you, taught you a lot. Maybe uh, uh, the worst low point, the best high point so far, any which way you want to look at it.
0: Sure. So, uh, lots and lots of them. Uh, I think, you know, before I take one or two examples, one of the things I'm realizing is that... uh, is to distance yourself from both the high points and the low points and just let it be, because as I say, this too shall pass. Right. I I still remember uh, in the early days of Beretrad, I was called to do my first radio show and it was fascinating those days, uh, FM and I was called to do a first interview. That was my first radio show. Mm. And uh, before that, I was uh, meeting a large customer of ours. Uh, you know, at 2 p.m. at Electronic City and the radio show was at 5 o'clock. And uh, the customer dropped a bomb on me to say that for some XYZ issues, we are uh, terminating your contract right now. And in that two hours, I lost 60% of my revenues. Right. I still remember coming back, I mean, you obviously feel so low, you're saying what the hell do I tell to my co-founders, teams what do I do with the people that we have where is the money going to come from all that but that one hour right from Electronic City to this uh, Richmond Road office you had to tune yourself to do the show you can't go low on the show that one hour taught me a lot to say you know what if you were to move from that low to a high of being on the radio show and you had to train your mind to be positive Mm. as an example and I had a ball of a time on that radio show of course we had to deal with the with the aftermath of losing the contract. But what it taught me is that you can have your lows and highs and it's a continuous journey. It, it, it happens every day, every hour, every minute, if you will. Hmm. Right? And how do you live life between those? And and I think as the a, as a lovely poem goes, how do you treat these two importers yet the same? Hmm. Uh, I think is a, is a critical uh, life lesson that I continue to learn every day.
1: Uh, do you recall, uh, uh, I guess, the, the earliest memories? Uh, you know, you, you took an engineering degree in Mysore. Uh, tell us about uh, where you were born, uh, what did your parents do? Uh, and, and I'm asking, asking you about the earliest memories in terms of, uh, you know, the big biggest influences that you look back and realize that that had an impact on your career decisions and
0: things like that. Mm. So, born to a fairly lower middle class family in Samaraj Bangalore, Uh, Hmm. I'm a Bangalorean at heart, lived here, grown up, Uh, my dad used to run a tire shop and subsequently a travel agency. In fact, I think I I learned a lot from watching my dad run his travel business because I used to go to his office after school and used to take calls from customers, you know, help him around, etc, etc. Uh, my mom uh, is a homemaker, is a, is a wonderful Veena artist and she teaches the Veena wow. and uh, from her I learnt a lot about empathy you know, I still remember uh, an incident, it, it, it appears small but I keep thinking that it, it had an influence in my life, you know, when I was five or six years old, I must have, water was scarce in Bangalore in those days and, and mm. dad mom used to wake up at four o'clock, go to some uh, nearby uh, well and bring in water and uh, I, I remember running around with the ball, uh, playing, the, playing the ball and, and, and it went near the water, big tank that we had, a big uh, drum. And I spilled the entire water uh, all through the house and I was scouring under the legs thinking that I'm going to get a massive spanking from my mother. And in she comes, she watches and pulls me, gives me a hug and says, it's okay, we will deal with it, I know you didn't do it by, by mistake. I mean, it, it happened by mistake, you didn't do it on purpose. I think that got me to feel that, listen, how, how, how much you need to see the word from the other person's lens, right, so on and so forth. So, I think if you look at some of these early experiences and experiences in college, running a college festival, my experience as a road track president in road track club, JP Nagar, where you actually run a club like a mini enterprise.
1: Hmm. You know, when
0: you reflect back, these are all things that has helped me to kind of learn the ropes and tricks of being an entrepreneur. And more importantly, I think entrepreneur is not a profession, it's a way of life. Uh, hmm. That uh, you connect these dots and then say, hey, you know, this is what makes me uh, whole.
1: Hmm. Hmm. You already spoke about perseverance earlier on and, and you, 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 you're you many things rolled into one, I mean, investor, mentor and entrepreneur so to aspiring of course these days startups are fashionable as well in India but leaving that aside in terms of the serious business of actually building long term sustainable businesses uh, let's let's kind of end with your advice for aspiring entrepreneurs
0: what would you have them do how would you have them prepare so for aspiring entrepreneurs out there I think it's a it's a combination of uh, Three, four things right that, that you need to think about when you're building a business one, what is your purpose and how does it align to the venture that you are trying to build? Two, the venture that you're trying to build does it have a possibility that it can earn enough profits at some point of time? Can you model that out? Can you think about that? Third. Profits alone are not important and I believe truly that job creation is the single biggest challenge that we face in our country. How many more people can you create incomes for, not necessarily as employees, but as as people associated <laughs> and, and, and and therefore as a job creator, uh, can you think from the lens of a job creator? And the fourth, uh, can you live a positive impact on the society around you? Again, I'm not talking of, uh, of, of, of of, of, of uh, you know, complex ESG models, I'm saying, can you think of a of, of your business which can leave a smile on the community around you, apart from your customers, right? So <laughs> if you can anchor it on, 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 on a very purposeful approach, a sustainable, profitable uh, model, plus a job creation engine and a, a, an impact of the lives around you. And if you can tick all of these four boxes, I think that's where the magic lies. Hmm. right and, and it may not happen altogether, but at least if that is there at the back of your mind you will navigate your way to this hmm.
1: fantastic wonderful uh, and so many more questions what uh, truly uh, insightful conversation and very enjoyable I just didn't see the time go by uh, more than thank you so much again sir for making time for this uh, and definitely hope to keep the conversation going
0: Hey, thank you so much.
1: It's a pleasure catching up and uh, look forward to continuing this conversation in, in some form or other. Thank you for having me here. All right. That was Madan Padki, uh, entrepreneur, investor, founder, CEO of OneBridge. Uh, that's it for this week's Startup Fridays. I'll be back next week with another conversation. Until then, wherever you've been listening to us, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. Have a wonderful Friday and a great weekend ahead.